Yes, hello, my friends, and welcome to this, another edition of the Underdog Football Show. My name is Josh Norris. His name is Hayden Weeks. And today, we've watched the games. You've scraped the data. You have the fantasy usage model, Hayden. We say it every week, but it's our favorite show. Let's predict some breakouts. How you doing, bud? I'm doing good. Uh, Tuesdays are crazy. I, I post the column, and then I try to watch every single game in about <laughs> four hours. Uh, so, yeah, I'm always stressed going into this, but, but your intro is kind of cool me down a little bit. I, I, I was the exact same way. Like I look at, it, I'm like, okay, 10 o'clock, I've got seven hours to prepare. Then it's two o'clock. Okay. I've got three more to cram in players and it just flies by. It absolutely flies by, but everyone knows out there again, this is where we look at the week five usage, predict things ahead of week six, talk about players who performed at a high level or a lower level and see if that is sticky or if things will change in the future. As always, as Hayden mentioned, you can check out the fantasy usage model. It's on underblog for now.underdogfantasy.com. Also, Hayden, week six means we have bye weeks. The Atlanta Falcons, the New Orleans Saints, San Francisco 49ers, the New York Jets. We'll talk about a few of those players as we go along, but keep that in mind throughout this week and when setting your lineups. And by the way, you have one more day for best ball resurrection. As everyone knows, you love some of your best ball teams from this summer, but you can love them all moving forward. Week six through, you know, week 17, you can draft for that. That starts this weekend. I think there's about 15% left to fill in best ball resurrection. Some really different ADPs in comparison to the summer. All right, go ahead. With that, I think that the running back, running back start is becoming more and more obvious. That's what you kind of want to do. If you just look at who's in the top 10 in scoring every week, it's either the first and second round running backs or it's their backups. So like right. just use that strategy. And I think that's how you can do it. So yeah, whatever you've learned from the last six weeks, make sure you're not putting too much uh, faith into the small samples. But I think that the midseason best ball stuff is really, really interesting. Go try yeah, it. And again, we do have so much more information than we had just, you know, six weeks ago. So understanding the backfields, the touches, distributions, all that kind of stuff, it can be useful in best ball resurrection. If you don't want to do that, play some pick them. Okay. As you all know, running backs, wide receivers, and tight ends, that's what we cover today. Hayden, let's start off with the running back position, and there is one man at the top. In our show last week, that we did with Eric Byme for, Peter Overzet, Michael Leone, what a crew, and we reflected in the first four weeks and looked ahead to you know, the best teams in Best Ball Mania 2 so far. Three or four out of the top five all had Derrick Henry on their rosters. Hayden, at least 28 carries for 113 yards in four straight games, including this past Sunday, 29 carries for 130 yards and three touchdowns versus the Jacksonville Jaguars. Aren't you worried that he doesn't catch enough passes, Josh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so the model's telling me that he is supposed to be scoring 22.8 half PPR points per game, but he's not from this planet. He's averaging 6.3 uh, more points than his usage would indicate. And that's because he's just like, it's just him and Nick Chubb in their own category for me right now as pure ball ball handlers. And he just put in the team on his back because we're getting, we'll get to AJ Brown in a second. We're not getting much from him. Julio has not been in the lineup. Ryan Tannehill has been more inconsistent in my eyes. They have no depth at any of the tight end or wide receiver spots. It's just all Derek Henry now. And they're doing with some backup linemen. So right. this is just like a, I hate using generational, but like I've never seen something like this before. And he's just putting the team on his back. Well, he breaks the mold in a, in a positive way. He's so different than anyone else that we see. And I don't think either of us at this point in the counter, and this is a long season, we've learned that already, are going to put the Tennessee Titans offense in like the top 10 conversation 
at this moment, but right now we have seen it, it definitely doesn't matter. Now, a few stats I looked up diving deep below the surface here for Derrick Henry. He has faced eight plus defenders in the box on 42% of his runs. And we saw this past weekend. I mean, Hayden, it's kind of different than the Nick Chubbs that you mentioned and some other running backs because it's a lot of five yard runs and a lot of 10 yard runs. And we have also seen major long runs from Derrick Henry in the past as well, but he's, he's these five to seven to 10 to touchdown yard chunk gains. And when you watch him, it's so many of the hidden yards. Like it doesn't seem like he's moving fast when he gets tackled. He's picking up an extra one or two or three or seven yards when carrying defenders. Um, now here's my question. I don't know how much you look into like rush yards over expectation Hayden, but right now he's 22 rushing yards over expected on 640 rushing yards. Meanwhile, Nick Chubb is at 126 rushing yards on 523 rushing yards. What does that mean to you? That just means that Nick Chubb is a little more explosive than Derrick Henry. And we saw it last week against the Chargers. Just Nick Chubb is breaking one tackle on the outside and it's gone. And Derrick yeah. Henry can do the same too. Um, I just think that Nick Chubb is like a tad more explosive. And I think that's the, the difference. And that's nothing against Derrick Henry. Nick Chubb's like a total freak too. Right. And I, I think it's slightly different too, because if you're facing eight men in the box and you break that one tackle, then one might also be right there. Um, 34 of his carries have resulted in first downs this year. The next person up, 25. Huge difference. Yep. Invisible yards. Uh, one note, just with the Titans backfield, Darrington Evans should be coming off injured reserve at any moment. Jeremy, Jeremy McNichols has been playing passing down. But I think if something ever happened to Derrick Henry, I think that Darrington Evans would be the preferred guy between the tackles. He's no Derek, Derek Henry, but I think that he's yeah. worth having in almost all 12, uh, 12 team leagues. We know week six waiver wires are coming up in the next 24 hours. We got to start off with the Giants backfield. Devontae Booker, 16 carries for 42 yards and a score, three catches and another touchdown when Saquon Barkley went out this season. What's the read on Saquon so far in the last few weeks when he's looked so explosive? We know depending on where you're looking, it might be a week or two, like a, a typical ankle injury for him. But I know as soon as he exited, Devontae Booker racked up every single snap. He did. And the Giants gave him a two-year contract. And that's kind of important just because it's $5.5 million. You don't really see that with backup running backs very often. And then obviously right when he went out, 21.1 expected half PPR points based off of his usage, how the 18 PPR points or half PPR points in the game. So whenever he's out there, I think that he's going to be a, a volume-based at least upside RB2. The thing to monitor is we're looking at Daniel Jones of the concussion protocol. We don't know about Kenny Galladay yet. Uh, Darius Slay could come back. Um, Darius Slayton, I'm sorry. And sa same thing with Sterling Shepard. So everyone's possibly in, in the lineup. We'll know more on Thursday. And if we don't know enough on Thursday, we'll know enough on Sunday. I was actually shocked when Daniel Jones went out how often this team continued to throw the football. Like they were still extremely aggressive down the field. And we'll get to that in a moment with with Kadarius Tony. Um, now I do want to bring up because we've seen a lot of running back insurance types be featured early on just through five weeks. And I'm not saying it's been hit or miss, but I think like the ceilings are different between a lot of those backs. Like we've talked about with Chuba Hubbard and Damien Williams, who we're going to get to and Khalil Herbert. And now you have Devonte Booker. Like, is this an offense here where you think that, okay, volume-based, this is a top 24 scoring running back. Does he have an avenue to get to top five, top seven, top 10 pathway? And 
to answer my question quickly, I thought it was very positive, his usage near the goal line last week, too. Yeah, I think he's going to have the usage. The problem is we don't know about the quarterback, and right. the Los Angeles Rams are coming to New York this week. So it's going to be tough. If you're desperate, I think that you should pick him up, and I think that he is a volume-based RB2, but the offensive line, and they just lost like another offensive line. It's like basically all backups. The offensive line was already bad in the first place, and we don't know how much they're going to be able to move the ball if all their receivers are out. So we'll just have to know more. But I think that at the very worst, he's going to have like top 24 volume and hopefully just lucks into a touchdown or a couple dump off passes. But I do know that the Giants like him. They gave him two right. year two years worth of money. And that's more than you can uh, say about a lot of uh, backup running backs. Leapt over the pile. He also creates separation one-on-one against Keanu Neal, a former safety who's now a linebacker for the Cowboys, like barely kept his knee off the ground. Well, I think it hit and then he got touched and then stretched out. So like, again, that usage near the goal line was, was really, really positive. Um, Let's talk about James Robinson. James Robinson, we've seen in the last few weeks, Hayden, be a major focus for the Jaguars offense, which is a much larger discussion, but let's focus on the running back position for now. Three straight games of at least 19 touches for James Robinson. And this past weekend against the Tennessee Titans, 18 for 149 and one score. He's leading the NFL in yards after contact per carry all the way up at 4.2. And you watch him. He's ripping through a bunch of arm tackles. And I think because of that, the Jaguars in the last couple of weeks have gone more neutral in their pass rates. I think they're below like the bottom 10 now in the league. And you notice that with the Marvin Jones box scores as well, where they're not just like desperate for just throwing the ball downfield all game long. I think it's because they're getting James Robinson more involved. Currently, the RB11 the last four weeks in fantasy usage, RB7 in half PPR per game right there. And it's just fantasy points above expectations just because he's a baller. And uh, I I think that they now know for sure that it's James Robinson over Carlos Hyde. And I think that they're going to keep getting him involved. He's just a complete back. He just doesn't have like the absolute burst. But that's like probably the most overrated thing that you need as a running back. He does all the other things really well. To your point, there's nothing left for James Robinson to prove. Like his lateral cuts are so good. Again, he doesn't, he might not have like the complete breakaway speed as as we're seeing here, but he certainly has enough speed for for chunk gains. Again, you jump to the conclusion that he certainly has proven to be you know, the lead back. And it doesn't seem like there is any way that they can like make a decision going in the opposite direction. I will say two weeks ago on Thursday nights because Carlos Hyde didn't play. And then this past weekend, it was this weird moment on fourth down where they hand the ball off to Carlos Hyde instead of James Robinson. Like these are natural conclusions. I think we could make for the Jaguars, but then at the same time, they had this great player on a cheap contract. And then this all season spent on a first round running back. I don't mean to keep bringing that up, but I actually want to, because I think it reiterates the point that they just don't have speed. And we'll get to that in a moment later on. I mean, the vision Everything that you need from James Robinson is there. And I think, Hayden, it's really positive that even they're losing in these situations, he's still getting, you know, at least 19 touches. They don't want to get Trevor Lawrence killed. I think that's what it kind of comes down to right now. Now, Josh Jacobs, before we get to anything on the Raiders, I briefly want to mention, based on the news of John Gruden resigning, getting fired, whatever it is, that I probably am not qualified in comparison to the likes of you know, Jim Trotter or Ryan Clark or, or Mina Kimes to talk about all these things. I retweet a whole bunch of their stuff. And so if you're interested in what they said, go and find it. But 
consistently stands out to me and what stands out to me here is that during this time, John Gruden was working on television, staying all positive and saying all these nasty, negative, bigoted things behind closed doors. And I would be shocked, as Jim Trotter said, if this wasn't just like a tree in a forest situation. So I don't know if there's anything you want to say there. Yeah, well, obviously it's all terrible and he needed to go. It's also something with all these other emails. We don't know how far this is going to go. So there's a lot of things what Washington possibly is hiding because their owner. Um, There's like this L.A. Rams uh, transition thing that they're trying to hide too. There's a lot of nonsense going on behind closed doors. And we always have to remember the NFL and the NFL owners get to choose what comes out, what doesn't come out. So uh, lots of stuff going on. Glad that John Gruden's out of there. Um, and I hope that the Raiders can kind of just move on from it after that. Shifting gears. John Gruden was the play caller. There were some high moments. I mean, 11 days ago, 12 days ago, this team was three and Oh, uh, now they're three and two. It seems to be on the decline, but what we have learned also in that time is that Josh Jacobs now feels healthier than ever, but we only have weeks one, four and five with him. And in those games, Hayden, he's averaging 13 carries, three receptions, and has three total touchdowns, including two in the air. How should we be viewing Josh Jacobs moving forward? He had a season high 16.6 expected half PPR points last week. And the broadcasters talked to him about his ankle and his foot and all that stuff that was popping up in the injury reports leading into the season. And he said he feels way better. And my eye test thought that he looked like he was running better. And the big thing that we've noticed is Josh Jacobs right now, the last week or two, he's actually running more routes than Kenyon Drake, than Jalen Richard, those types. He actually ran 20 routes to Kenyon Drake's nine. He's getting targeted more often. And this is just kind of just the Raiders overall. Like they're just not a plan. They're, they brought in Kenyon Drake and they're not using him. And they're not using him when Josh Jacobs was out. And they're not using him as the compliment to Josh Jacobs right now. So I think that we have to kind of uh, take into consideration that the Raiders are going to run the ball they moved Alex Leatherwood into guard. Maybe that makes their run game a little more efficient because going into this week, they were dead last in PFF run blocking grade. And I think that if Jacobs gets a little bit healthier, if the offensive line gels a little bit more, and if they're already abandoning ship on the Kenyon Drake stuff, I think that we should take Josh Jacobs as an RB2 a little more seriously right now. This Kenyon Drake stuff is almost laughable. I mean, so bad. They, they make so many decisions this summer and guarantee him what $11 million. And he's not even in the role specifically that he was pegged to have. And then also wasn't the running back insurance when Josh Jacobs was on the sideline. You know me. I mean, I've been clamoring for Josh Jacobs to get touches throughout his entire career in the passing game. Um, now I do think some of that same explosion and wiggle that we saw early in his career has been sapped a little bit because it seems like he gets nicked up every single season, but he's still a talented back. In fact, Hayden, I would maybe compare this situation to possibly, and a name we're going to talk about a little bit, and Leonard Fournette, like someone who at the very least can execute the responsibilities for you that we're seeing a little bit more passing down work for in a positive game script situation is going to see way more volume. But the last two games for Josh Jake was, again, where he's still averaging 13 carries and three receptions have been in negative game scripts. So like, I I don't know how much the ceiling is going to be there. Again, we're getting about 45, 50, 55 yards, but at least that is consistent in a backfield on a team that has been highly inconsistent over the last few years. Yep. RB8 fantasy usage over the last four games when he's been healthy. So uh, I, I, you got to buy it in a little bit. If he's playing passing downs, like that's why he was a mockery in best ball. Like every fantasy expert is like, why would you ever draw, draw uh, draft? Josh Jacobs, well, if he's going to play the passing down work a little bit now, 
And we know he's going to get all the goal line opportunity. Maybe, maybe he kind of sneaks into like that top 24 running backs uh, from this point moving forward. So I got the Los Angeles Rams and Daryl Henderson. Uh, last week, Daryl Henderson, 18 touches, 99 yards, and a touchdown. Sony Michelle, 12 touches, 45 yards, and a score. It was an occasion where both backs, because the Rams were so good, uh, got home. I mean, overall, 30 touches combined in a backfield in, in a controlling win. But Hayden, I think that like that's two separate conversations. One, for your best ball teams, there might be occasions when both backs can you know get a touchdown and, and have production. Two, Daryl Henderson is still pretty clearly the top lead back. But three, to me, and I'll keep saying it every single week, if something does happen to Daryl Henderson, as we saw a few weeks ago, Sonny Michelle had 23 touches for 79 yards against a very, very difficult matchup in the Tempe Buccaneers. Yeah, right now we're debating if Daryl Henderson is going to be able to hold up or if the Rams are going to allow him to have that bell cow role because we had he had it every single time he's been healthy, he's had that role. And then last week, it was more even because he kind of re-injured his ribs or whatever happened again. He had a season low. 10.7 expected half PPR points. I think that Sony Michelle needs to be on every single bench in 10 team leagues, 12 team leagues, the whole thing. Cause I think he's one small little injury away from being a top 12 back. And if Daryl Henderson could get healthy, they've showed him that he can be a top 12 fantasy running back. Even right now with last week's kind of banged up game, RB 14 usage, RB 13 half PPR points per game the last four weeks. So this is a backfield that's wanting to give us a fantasy RB one. We have to kind of pay attention. This morning, I asked everyone for their best best ball team allowed you to brag. So many of them had Daryl Henderson on it. And it makes a lot of sense because he's one of these players that was going around four or five, six during his peak. And then like really early in the summer, eight, nine, 10, 11 in that range. And he has catapulted into, you know, top 12 scoring status at the position. It is also a, a conversation that needs to be had that, in the past, when they did spend draft capital on Daryl Henderson, he was kind of like a one-cut, straight-line runner. And so that forced them to make the move for K-Makers. One, K-Makers would have had a monster year. Oh, but yeah. two, um, I actually think that Daryl Henderson has changed his game and evolved his game a little bit. Like, I actually don't think he's explosive as he was coming out of Memphis, but he's more patient. He has better vision. On these, you know, zone runs, he's making, he's setting up his blocks, he's setting up defenders and creating open areas for him. And Hayden, we're seeing pass pro from him. And when you can trust your running back, we've seen Sonny Michelle, you know, knock a free blitzer. We've seen Daryl Henderson do this as well. This allows Matthew Stafford to make these, you know, whole passes of 15 plus yards down the field. So while I think in the past, all of their moves and actions, have led the Rams and suggested they don't trust Daryl Henderson, I think on the fly, they do now. And so I think we need to readjust maybe our perspective on that and not just attach it to what we thought prior to the season. They trust him. They trust him until he's healthy or until he's not healthy enough. I think that's like the one thing. I think that's why they traded for Sonny Michelle. He's just always banged up. So we'll, we'll see. I think if this next week, if he's healthy again and gets the full workload, then we know it will always be Daryl Henderson's season as long as he stays healthy. But at some point, the Rams could say enough already. This is going to be a one-two punch rather than just Daryl Henderson going off. So it's hard to tell because he just keeps getting banged up. But whenever he's healthy, he's he's a he's a he's he basically is a top twelve fantasy running back when he has that bell cow workload. Yeah, and I I know that the 
Rams obviously lost to the Cardinals a couple weeks ago. I thought that game plan was really nice. Matthew Stafford missed some throws. Um, as we go along, I think this will continue to look like an NFC offensive juggernaut, and uh, both players can really be productive. It's not a Todd Gurley-led backfield. You know, It's not just one player getting all of it and being super explosive. But both these players, I think, can be really, really productive, given their opportunity, and Daryl Henderson obviously has that one. Let's talk about Cordero Patterson, as always. The weekly spot here for CPAT. 14 carries last week, Hayden Winks. Nine targets, seven receptions, 60 yards. He's at least five catches in four straight games. Is this a slight role change here from CPAT that we saw over in London? Is it something we can expect moving forward? Or do we surmise that possibly it was because Calvin Ridley missed that contest? Both. He had set season highs in running back snaps, and he also like smashed his season high with 22 snaps at tight end or wide receiver. And I think that la- latter stat is definitely because there was no Calvin Ridley. And we got to throw in, there's no Russell Gage as well. So like that's right. the thing. And we don't know when, uh, after they come out of the bye, when Calvin Ridley's out, when Russell Gage probably is going to be back then, and they only use two wide receivers on the field, that's going to be the breaking point. And that's where you can have the Mike Davis floor just get rugged out right from, from under him if they want to put Cordero Patterson as like the primary running back. So going into this, it's a very up and down situation. I think that last week is very clear. When we said this on the podcast last week, the roles for Mike Davis is going to be changed. The roles for CPAD is going to be changed when you have uh, that many wide receiver injuries. And there was a couple of plays where Cordell Patterson, high pointing balls, winning at the line of scrimmage, like at wide receiver. And he looks yep. explosive as a running back. So the, his volume is going to be there. I just don't know like who at the expense it's coming from. It could be Mike Davis. It could be Russell Gage. It could be Hayden Hurst and more 11 personnel. Uh, it's going to be hard. I think that Arthur Smith, this entire bye week, that's basically his goal is to figure out how they're going to use Cordell Patterson coming out of this. So in his game that he scored three touchdowns in week four, he only had 12 snaps at running back, 11 snaps at wide receiver. I mean, he basically doubled that each last week in terms of 24 at running back, 22 at wide receiver. And when he's in the game, he's going to be featured and get – opportunities right so like in his 24 snaps at running back he gets all 14 carries like that's a ludicrous it's a ludicrous rate and then his 22 snaps at wide receiver what stood out to me is exactly what you said it wasn't gimmicky stuff it wasn't gadgety stuff it wasn't like a typical obviously running back lining out in those outside alignments he was asked to win on slants he was asked to win on end zone routes he was asked to win near the sideline that's awesome and so while it's not 100% or even 80% or whatever it is, and you know Ridley's coming back in the fold and we see Cal Pitts making good on his opportunity, we're going to talk to him about him a little bit later on. To me, I am here, Hayden, where Cordero oh, yeah. Patterson, as a flex play each and every week with by starting up as your running back two or your wide receiver three or wide receiver four, totally cool with it because he is the most creative and explosive piece. And when he's in the game, he's getting the football. I'm with you. We'll just have to monitor what happens in week seven. Cause I think that's going to be the turning point. You get Gage and Ridley back, what they're going to hell, what the hell they're going to be doing with Cordell Patterson of note, Mike Davis still had at least 35 snaps in every single game from the backfield. He had 45 last week. He played 51 snaps. So yes, it sucks for Mike, Mike Davis at Cordell Patterson's out here stealing some, some stuff from him, but he was the two minute drill back in, in this last game. And he was still the goal line back too. So um, it's not pretty. Mike Davis basically has no upside, but I think that in, during bye weeks, he still could be a flex. It just, I think it's going to be that week seven game is where we're going to figure out what the hell this offense is going to look like. 
Positive note for Mike Davis, his yards after contact this year in week four and before, it was 89%. It dropped down to 86%. Good for him. Good for him. Picked up a three, 3% of his yards so far this season have extra have been blocked for him. Another insane touchdown he had breaking every a million tackles. Yeah, that's crazy. Leonard Fournette time. 20 carries in week four, 12 carries in week five, and we are getting passing game Lenny, and as he puts it, all season Lenny as well from Leonard Fournette. Hayden, you suggested this back in the early weeks of the season. The Ronald Jones opportunities were there. He fumbled them away. He missed his pass protection. Then when Giovanni Bernard went out of the lineup, the most dependable player they have in that backfield, even when Gio returned, is Leonard Fournette on an offense that's top five in the NFL, that's in a lot of these you know scoring situations. Leonard Fournette, it might not look flashy. It might not look pretty. But when a team is chasing, you know, records at the quarterback position, top 20 running back each week. Have you watched this last game yet? I did. Last game. He looked he good. Looked good. He looked good. <laughs> like, you got to stick up saying that he, it's not going to look pretty. Well, it looked kind of pretty to me. He's running. There was an out route. It's like a second and like 10. And he, it was him versus Byron Jones. And he runs an out route, gets the, gets the ball. It was like basically Tom Brady's first read gets his toes in bounds, and then runs out. He was making people miss on the, on the outside, too. And the biggest thing from last week, and we have to be careful because it was Giovanni Bernard's first game back, but week five routes, Leonard Fournette 29 to 50 dropbacks. Giovanni Bernard only nine. Ronald Jones only four. And I, I think that Ronald Jones might have missed another block, too, and got Tom Brady hit again. And they're just he's basically erased. If he's going to get the passing down work over Giovanni Bernard – why not? And right now, over the last couple weeks or last four weeks, RB20 usage, RB21 and half PPR points per game. I think that's kind of where we're at with him. But we have to note, he can be like the RB5 in a week for sure, just because of how explosive this offense is. I'm right there with you. I am right there with you. Uh, something of note, though, I think since last week 13, which we know that's when like Tampa Bay went on a rocket ship and to the moon and they figured out this offense. Tampa Bay, Tom Brady only has one rushing touchdown. I mean, we know he used to be like the king of those like one yard goal line plunges with their great offensive line. It kind of seems like they are more willing to give their running backs chances in that area rather than trying to force Tom to do it. Um, now, Fournette is getting those as well. I mean, he has six carries inside the 10 yard line, but Hayden, even more so than just like running the football in inside the 10 yard line. They're throwing it in. I mean, Tom oh, yeah. Brady has 16 passes and eight touchdowns of those 16 passes inside the 10-yard line this season. I mean, they are a absolute machine right now. Yeah, it's an absolute machine. And Fournette is out there for most of the snaps. So, yeah, we have, we have to take notice. We do. Antonio Gibson. We know that many Twitter doctors, we appreciate your service, have suggested that Antonio Gibson – will decline as the season goes along. Correct me if I'm wrong here, Hayden, because the stress fracture in his leg, it sounds like that is a long-term issue. But in the short term, Hayden, right now for Antonio Gibson, 20 carries last week, two touchdowns, and that was in a 22-33 to 33 loss. So again, I think the blocking, I think the running lanes, we remember that big like 70-yard screen pass touchdown that he had. We're not seeing a lot of explosive plays other than that each and every week. But we are getting the goal line, the short yardage, the high value touch opportunities here for Antonio Gibson. And again, two touchdowns last week proves that it's it's still there for. 
Yeah, he's still a good enough player to to have these games, and they want to slow the the game down and run the ball when they can. I think I want to call him a sell high though, just because he's RB twenty two in fantasy usage uh, over the last four weeks. He has not gotten any of the JD McKissick role. JD McKissick looks fine to me. The Washington football team loses Brandon Sheriff, probably their best offensive lineman, or for sure their best offensive lineman. So right now he's the RB nine on inside the five opportunities per game. That's awesome. That's it though. Like that's just, you're banking on that. And Washington's probably been playing a little bit better offense than we expect. But a lot of that was just like Taylor Heineke just throwing long bombs and just coming down with all this nonsense. I'm not sure how sustainable this this is. I can see the Washington offense just completely cratering in the second half. The shin stuff, the JD McKissick stuff, none of this sounds very good. And I think that you sell high off this two touchdown game. If you can get like a Daryl Henderson or like a, a James Robinson, any of those type of backs, I would do that. They do have the Kansas City Chiefs this, this weekend. So talk about running the football. If they can establish it, that might help. We have seen the Chiefs be awful in that area. And then after that, it's the Packers, the Broncos, and the Buccaneers. At least before they get to the Buccaneers, that's the but, uh, time to give it up. Those offenses could shred this defense. Totally. Like the Chiefs could put up 45, and they're down by three touchdowns, and we're not even going to see Antonio Gibson. So Totally. I think it's, that's it, a great it's point. Risk- it's risky, but I think I want to call him a sell high. Curtis Samuel now back out with the groin strain. We know Logan Thomas is sideline. We know Dayami Brown has been hurt as well. Something to keep in mind with Washington moving forward. Miles Gaskin went off in week five, Payton. Five carries for 25 yards against Tampa Bay. Ten catches for 74 yards and two touchdowns. You and I were slacking this weekend saying, why didn't we see this coming? Because as you have said and noted for weeks, no one is even trying to run against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Even the carries inside the 10 yard line, Miles Gaskin, I think got two of those. They went absolutely nowhere. So it was a bunch of screens with a lot of movement, then a wheel route for a touchdown. So maybe this isn't necessarily a Miles Gaskin conversation. We should have that first, but then also, Hey, backs playing Tampa Bay in the future this might be an avenue for us to get points. Yeah, it was definitely matchup induced and, and game script induced and all that stuff. But the fact that they just like didn't play Malcolm Brown after not playing Miles Gaskin, this is I, I don't know what to make of it. I don't know what we should do with this moving forward. I wouldn't like go jam in Miles Gaskin next week. I think that this was more of just like another reminder of what the Bucks defense, it's the biggest pass funnel there is. And it's like every there's every single reason why that this would be the case. Bucks offense is good. The Bucks secondary is hurt. Vita Vea is in, insane. And yeah, I think that 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 was the big thing. But shout out to Miles Gaskin. He had a couple awesome plays um, out in space, and they were using him near near the goal line a little bit too. So um, I think Miles Gaskin is the best running back on this team. I just don't know how much they want to run him up the middle. They're basically giving up on trying to run the ball because they can't with behind this offensive it's- line. And it's not for injury, but here we are in week six, and this team is still changing up pieces along their offensive line. They've moved their preseason left tackle, Austin Jackson, into left guard. Liam Eichenberg is now playing left tackle. They're not going to be able to run on anyone. So we also know, though, last year, Hayden, that Miles Gaskin got home because of all the screen usage and because of making people miss in the open field. I'm with you. I think it can hurt. This is like the the conundrum that you know fantasy players get into where they see this massive number on their bench and they say, okay, is this translatable? Is this usable moving forward? We need to see more from Miles Gaskin. And then it could even change with the quarterback change because we know that Tua is designated to return, might be coming back 
in the near future. And that offense, multiple pieces look different, including Mike Gesicki. So that we just still don't even know who's calling plays on the Dolphins sideline as well. Yeah, for sure. And just no Will Fuller, no Devontae Parker last week obviously helped Miles Gas. And there's like more opportunities for him with just with that too. Right. And it was interesting. I think 24 to 17 after he got in for this touchdown, then he didn't touch the ball again, I don't believe, until 45 to 17 in that game. Yeah. And that just shows you how many points that the uh that the uh Dolphins can put up. And quickly, the Bucks face the Eagles on Thursday night football this week. We're not gonna be able to preview that game prior to it. Uh so if anyone on that team is going to catch some passes, one. We've seen them, you know, script those shorter receptions as well. I'm sure the Bucks know that if we do. Uh, Kenny Gainwell, potentially an interesting island play game there. I'll see him in the pick'em lobby. <laughs> 49ers. What a weird week for the 49ers getting Trey Lance out there as the starter. Uh, now Trey Lance is injured. They're headed into their bye week. It sounds like as soon as Jimmy Garoppolo is ready, Jimmy Garoppolo will be back in the starting lineup. But a big return was Eli Mitchell coming back into the team. And Hayden, he once again owned the backfield. Now, it wasn't a result of as many touches as we saw early in the season with Jimmy because Trey Lance had 16 carries by himself. But moving forward, I think what we can partake from this is that Eli Mitchell is going to see 70 to 80% of the backfield touches. My guy, Trey Sermon, had like four times as many special team snaps as offensive snaps. I think it's time to pour one out for old Trey Sermon. Uh, Eli Mitchell also looked pretty good to me. There's like a lot of like little sloppy stuff that still needs to be ironed out. I'm sure that the 49ers coaching staff is like really like all out of sorts just because their their the ground game is kind of just random right now. But Eli Mitchell has that explosiveness and he's fifth among qualifying running backs in yards after contact per carry. So I think that when Jimmy G is back, I think that's probably good news for Eli Mitchell, just because you're not going to get all these Trey Lance stuff. Um, the, the one thing that's the big difference between like the 49 ers teams from the last three or four seasons is Trey Lance is going to be a goal line vulture, even if Jimmy G is out there. And that kind of takes some of the steam away from Eli Mitchell. But I test snap rate, all that stuff. Eli Mitchell looked good to me last week. I think that at worst, he's like a boom bust flex type at, at running back. With Eli Mitchell, I mean, we got that opening week shock of 19 carries for 104 yards and a score. Since then, Hayden, we have 26 combined carries, four receptions, and like eight, I don't know, 100 total yards. So this has been a major conversation all season and I think part of it is because we just totally believe in the 49ers system and and in their team in fact I almost want to hit the reset button on there and say like hey this 49ers team is slightly different than we expected and maybe not being as well orchestrated and run as what we wanted it to and like some of the the decision making isn't being navigated appropriately but uh if I had to you know put my feather in one cap in that backfield it would be Eli Mitchell the rest of the season for sure, yeah. All right. Chiefs backfield. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is injured. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is on injured reserve. Yesterday, we found out after he was, you know, carried off the field by his teammates that he was going to miss, I don't know, a few weeks. Josina Anderson, I'm pulling it up right now, says that mainly the team wanted to put him on injured reserve. So, quote, he doesn't feel like he has to rush back. I know a lot of wave wires are coming up here, Hayden. So we have a split. Daryl Williams, 
Jarek McKinnon, how are you viewing it? I think they'll give Daryl Williams like mostly a bell cow workload. Jarek McKinnon will see a couple snaps in passing situations, but Daryl Williams was playing on passing downs over the last two seasons. And I think that he's a better between the tackles rusher. So I think that Daryl Henderson is a pretty clean pickup going in because we're going to see at least three weeks of him starting. He had 9.5 expected half PPR points on average in the last three games. So that's like already almost flex worthy. And then all of a sudden Clyde Edwards Lair is out of the picture. So I think that he's going to be an RB two. He kind of reminds me of the Damian Williams pickup from last week where you're getting uh, at least we can see him in this role. We've seen him in this role. And the difference here is that the chiefs offense, he can get a couple goal line touchdowns. So I would say he's going to be like an RB two ish uh, for the next three weeks. And I think that they're expecting CH to come back um, four weeks from now. Something I picked up, I watched every single one of Darrell Williams touches. Nothing stood out to me, but nothing has really stood out to me with Clyde Edwards Hilaire this season as well. Like sure. He might be a bowling ball and bounce off some tacklers and use his eyes and his vision and his feet to pick up yards, but there's nothing explosive there as well. I think the biggest advantage that Darrell Williams has is kind of the same advantage what this chief's backfield has is that he and CEH have the lowest rate of runs facing eight men boxes in the NFL. But we have a bit of a chief's problem right now, don't we? This is not quite maybe the offense that we expect in terms of dominance for the entire game. Like I think at times they have a little bit of an issue controlling, you know, the pace or the entire flow of a game. And I know a lot of their fan base just wants them to run the ball more. And I think this indicates it where you're, you can get chunk gains of five, six, seven, eight yards. And then the quarterback who's playing unbelievable here, granted still throwing and committing some turnovers feels the need because of their defense, probably to like hit these massive chunk gains all the time, like put up seven points, six points every single time he throws the football. So really what I'm getting to here is that CEH, average talent so far. Dell Williams, adequate talent. I will be keenly interested in what Jarrett McKinnon flows in here because as soon as CEH went out and even before then, he started getting a little bit of work as well. I'm not a believer in Jarrett McKinnon. I think it's just over. He'll see a couple passing game snaps. I think that the thing that you're saying, though, is interesting. The, chi- the Chiefs are uh, – teams facing the Chiefs are daring them to run the ball. Right. And they haven't done so. I will say – the Chiefs offense is still the best offense in the NFL. It's all just been those those turnovers. And that's like been the difference. They're moving the ball, getting picking up first downs, yards per play, all that stuff at like an insane level. It's just a couple of turnovers. And a lot of it's just like a tip ball here and there, a bad fumble here and there. And I think that they'll they'll figure it out. But it will be interesting to see if the Chiefs, at least for one of these games, says fine, we're gonna give 15 touches to Daryl Williams up the middle. Yeah. I mean, 29th in run rate, despite having five to six defenders in the box seemingly at all times. Uh, I don't know. I mean, their, their turnover differential, I think is second worst in the NFL right now. So yeah, that's because their defense is awful. Well, and they're also turning the football over and off. Yeah. That's fluky though. Pat, Patrick Mahomes is going to figure that part of out. Okay. All right. It's a long season. It's a long season. Uh, is that it for the running back position? No, we've got a couple more. First, let's talk about the Ravens. Um, we saw that, Tyson Williams is active against the Colts on Monday night football, but in steps Latavius Murray, anything on Latavius. What's frustrating to me, Hayden is we know this backfield and this team and this offense, you know, can be an avalanche. It can get all over you, 
in terms of piling up yards and now in the air and, and still on the ground. We know that the streak ended last night, but it just doesn't feel the same with Latavius back there versus what we've seen in the last few years with Mark Ingram and Gus Edwards and J.K. Dobbins. It's crazy because they're not like the bottom five in neutral pass rate right now. Like they're more in the middle of the pack. And I think it's because they're just giving up on the ground game. And Latavius Murray is just not a difference maker at this point of his career. And the last two starts, 11.4 and 9.7 expected half PPR points. So if you're really desperate in the bye week stuff, maybe even with Tyson Williams back. But the big thing is just Lamar Jackson's the current MVP favorite, and he's just balling out through the air. And that's without Rashad Bateman and without Ronnie Stanley, without uh, Boyle coming back to, to run block for him too and pass pass block. So this is like an insane leap from the Ravens pass game. And I think a lot of it's just the defense isn't quite as good. The offensive line's not quite as good. They're getting better uh, returns on Marquise Brown this year. And then Rashad Bateman's coming back. So the running backs, the Baltimore running backs always kind of been a trap. Like J.K. Dobbins, kind of a trap last last year they've completely given gotten rid of it when they're running the ball it's with lamar jackson not really with the running backs we put him in the thumbnail so let's talk about jonathan taylor uh jonathan taylor last night had a massive screen for a score or swing pass Uh, jonathan taylor is still getting i think hayden around like 17 touches per game 18 touches per game we know the identity of this team they wanted it to be through Jonathan Taylor and the offensive line uh, that has had to evolve as we have gone along. But again, I watch these games and specifically Monday night football. And I see like 85, 90% Nick Chubb out of Jonathan Taylor at times. Like he is just so explosive for someone of that, that size and that stature. Yeah. That's what you're always getting with Jonathan Taylor. He's RB 10 fantasy usage, RB 12, half PPR points per game over the last four games. Yes. He's losing snaps to Naeem Hines, so he is basically Nick Chubb. I don't think he's as good as Nick Chubb. That's basically impossible to do, but I'm, I'm totally there with you. He's going to have spiked weeks when it's in neutral or positive game scripts. And I think that the one thing we have to be eyeing is Carson Wentz looked much better last week. Yep. And maybe his ankle is feeling a little bit better, and that would be good news. Michael Pittman looks better. That would be good news for Jonathan Taylor. Um, but we'll have to see what, what happens if they're going to actually bench Carson Wentz down the down the stretch. But even with all the nonsense that's like going on with the Colts right now, Jonathan Taylor is still capable of ripping off a 50 yard touchdown. So I think he's for sure on that RB one, two border. And I don't think he'll ever fully break out of that as long as Naeem Hines is healthy, but he spiked weeks. Yes. The Colts with the lead. Yes. Screen game right. for 75 yard touchdown for sure. Sign me up for all that stuff. Yeah. And I, I think the big difference between he and, you know, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt is that we fully buy into what the Browns have built in terms of, how and how successful they're going to be with that vision in terms of a top five offensive line, two top 10 running backs. Jonathan Taylor can be a top 10 running back, but it's just oh, yeah. clear. I mean, injury luck is a real thing. And when it changes and that's your core of five offensive linemen, and that changes almost immediately, even before the season even starts, then that's going to diminish some of the returns, especially when you spend a round one or round two pick on uh, on Jonathan Taylor. So Yeah. The, the upside's there with Carson Wentz, hopefully playing better and the offensive line getting healthier, there is a little bit of a path to upside where you're going to see a little bit better from Jonathan Taylor. It's just the end of the season. I'm very curious when that 70% comes in for Carson Wentz. And right now that's a top 10 pick for right. the Colts. They're going to have to make a big boy decision. We never see this with the NFL. We see this all the time with the NBA and all like the, the, the trade stuff that goes on there, but we, we don't really see this with, with the NFL. Yeah. I'm very curious to see how, how it plays out. 
closest thing we saw was Doug Peterson obviously taking out Jalen Hurts and losing that game, losing that game on on purpose. Carson Wentz still throws like a trebuchet. Uh, shout out Age of Empires. All right, before we move on, like and subscribe, everyone. If you're listening to us in the podcast feed, appreciate you. Always check us out on YouTube as we talk about these players. We bring up tweets, we bring up plays, all 22. It's a fun time. It's Underdog Fantasy on the YouTube channel. And for all of you watching with us right now, Scampers, as always, T.O., Ski, Connor, Edit, Michael, Santi. Now it's dropped down to 60% of you. 60% of the people who check out this channel are not subscribed. Fix that. Join us for the ride as we approach slowly 10,000 subscribers on this channel. Wide receiver time, Hayden, just 45 minutes in, a cool 45 minutes in. Tampa Bay, we talked about Leonard Fournette. Let's talk about the passing game. Tom Brady on pace for 48 touchdown passes. I believe this season we've had Antonio Brown weeks. By the way, we had Antonio Brown week this weekend when he was shadowed by Zayvon Howard. And then Chris Godwin, and we're seeing Mike Evans too. We are seeing Mike Evans, and this chart that's showing you is just plays per minute in neutral situations, and then pass rate in neutral situations. And there's five teams in the elite category. You have the Rams, you have the Bills, you have the Bucks, you have the Chargers, and then the Eagles. We'll talk about Devonta Smith in a second. But those are the teams where those offenses, it's just full-on go time, and it's getting everybody home. Mike Evans in the last four weeks, the wide receiver four and half PPR points per game, wide receiver five fantasy usage. The reason why is he's seeing 1.8 red zone targets per game. And the Bucs right now are first in red zone targets as a team. And it's not even close. So they're averaging like two or three more than even like the second place team. So like you were saying with the Fournette stuff earlier on, Tom Brady's throwing the ball in the red zone right now. And we saw this last year. I don't know if it's MVP stuff. I don't know if they feel more comfortable just throwing the ball. I don't know if it's just because Mike Evans is a Hall of Famer and he's six foot five and just winning all these jump ball situations. So... Um, when I was watching the game, yes, we can talk about Antonio Brown in a second. The big thing, and this has been the entire season, Tom Brady, when it's like he's reading a high-low situation, he's picking the high. It's going up, and he's throwing it downfield almost every single time. It's really impressive. They're not that scared of being in, in the second and tenth situation. They're trying to move the ball 20 yards at a time, and that could get any one of these three guys uh, home each week. The offensive line looks awesome as, as usual, and the Bucks defense being – worse than probably expected is only going to get these guys home even more. Definitely five games played 32 attempts over 20 plus yards for Tom Brady. We mentioned they aren't running it nearly as much as other offenses who are in that, you know, top right area. Like you're talking about the Arizona Cardinals love running it inside the five inside the 10 yard line. Tampa Bay loves throwing it inside that area of the field. If they even have to get to that area of the field. And so Antonio Brown, Chris Godwin, Gronk when he's healthy, Mike Evans as well. These are all key pieces. And Hayden, when we talk about, and you know, the shift in a fantasy mind has changed over the last few years. But I remember it when like it was the dual Stefan Diggs, Adam Thielen breakout. People thought you could only draft one of those. Stack these teams that you believe, because almost every single one of those, if not all of them, we could have seen coming. I think the Eagles are a bit of an aberration. But those other four, we could have pegged them as, oh, these are definitely offense we want every single piece of. Yep. Look what we're getting. Real quick, Antonio Brown, that long touchdown he had, that was press man coverage against Xavier Howard, and he roasted him. It wasn't even close, and he was hauling down the field, and then he got another red zone uh, target, which was re- which is pretty refreshing because a lot of times they use 12 personnel in there, but they're getting Antonio Brown involved there, and he looks really good. Last night on the Bucks offense just kind of goes back to that original chart. Chris Godwin is 
leading the league in yards uh, or routes run per game all the way at 43 and a half over the last four games. So all of them are going to get home. DFS pick two and, and log out of there. And I think that Tom Brady tickets for MVP are going to look better and better and better as the season goes on. Best ball resurrection. Tom Brady is still going as the quarterback seven. It's because he doesn't run. And I understand, I understand like, oh, who can you remove ahead of him? Justin Herbert or, yes. you know, Lamar Jackson or Dak Prescott. I removed Dak ahead of him. Yes, I mean, for sure. Dak, that team is so balanced and it's great. Don't get me wrong. Absolutely love Dak Prescott. But Tom is on a mission to break that single season quarterback throwing touchdown record. Go ahead. You talk about Dak Prescott. This year, the, the Cowboys are like 30th. And neutral pass rate right now. And there's a couple of reasons why that is. And you have to adjust the rankings on CD lamb and Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup coming back. All those guys are like outside the top 25 in fantasy usage. And it's because the Cowboys defense is better. They're running the ball. Cause Zeke looks better. Tony Pollard is now basically kind of like a, a, a running back wide receiver hybrid. They're getting him kind of everywhere involved. And I think we have to adjust the ranks to just the offensive lines better. Zeke's better. The defense is better. There's no re- need for the Cowboys to be in the top five in neutral passer. And right we would love that, but the ground game is, was one of the best in the NFL. So I don't think that we should all of a sudden expect CD lambs, like a top 10 receiver. Yes. The spike week potentials there, but like every week, this is just not the fantasy environment that we were kind of signing up for in best ball. Free entry in best ball resurrection. Just use promo code, the show when you download the app, Sign up online, take credit cards now, go go and do that. Use promo code this show. All right. Michael Pittman scored a touchdown, Hayden. We did it. About damn time. We talked about Carson Wentz and his improvement this week on Monday Night Football. Well, in weeks past, Michael Pittman has been by himself in the end zone, and Carson Wentz has just missed him. Uh, this week, he did all the work due to disruption. It was an underthrown pass. Michael Pittman goes out there, mosses the defensive back, drags another one, into the end zone. We know again, I think the core of this team is going to run through Jonathan Taylor, but if there is going to be one player who explodes as a pass catcher, I know we've had Mo Ali Cox touchdown, some other guys, Zach Pascal as well, but Michael Pittman has X wide receiver traits. And again, this is a very long season, 10 plus more weeks of the year. We, there's a strong, strong chance that we see that as we go along. Michael Pittman's the wide receiver six in fantasy usage over the last four weeks. Amazing. Wide receiver six. Now, so with regression that, is still there to be had. Yeah, yes, but I would say also no, because I think we should expect <laughs> Michael Pittman to be probably a, a little bit below average compared to my model because he's he might not be as good as like the Tyreek Hill guys. And Carson Wentz, we think, is a below average quarterback. And a lot of these targets are prairie yards down the field. But True. Wide receiver six usage like that at least says wide receiver two, wide receiver three with plenty of upside. I think he's kind of a complete receiver. He's got the yards after the catch stuff. He's winning in man coverage. We saw that one game against the Rams where he was winning and being really smart in zone coverage. And then he has the ability to to moss everybody. Um, So I I think he's going to be a very good pick down the stretch. Going back to that uh, Jonathan Taylor conversation, the Carson Wentz stuff. Like I I hope it's not freaking – I, I think a Bruin's going to come here, in here and ruin this and Brett Hundley and going to ruin the uh, breakout season from, from these uh, USC Trojan. Well, some of those throws Brett Hundley could have made and, and Carson couldn't have. Uh, 49ers, we talked about Eli Mitchell. We'll talk about Trey Lance at some point. Obviously, they're in a bye this week. Uh, let's talk about Debo Samuel. Uh, this is prior to this Sunday when it was Trey Lance's first start. 
and Debo Samuel only had three catches for 58 yards. They get nine targets. But Hayden, there are only eight players in the NFL this season. Again, this was prior to saying with at least five catches. Debo Samuel was one of them. So in an offense that has been unpredictable, that has thrown new names at us, that is probably you know running differently than Kyle Shanahan intended, you and I have a not a disagreement here, but maybe a different perspective where I think no matter what, Debo Samuel is the only dependable player on, on that team. And while it like, might look a little different here or there, I think Kyle always in his back pocket has Debo Samuel plays, manufactured touches, and we saw that for a rushing touchdown this past weekend too. I think our only disagreement with Debo is what happens with Trey Lance at quarterback. And I don't even think that's going to be that relevant because – after watching Trey Lance, I think that they're going to go back to Jimmy Garoppolo. I think the biggest problem with Trey Lance right now, yes, there's a couple missed throws, but that wasn't really the biggest deal to me um, and after re-watching the game. He's just a little bit late, and there's a little bit of a kind of hiccup in his movements where he's, when he goes to step up, there's a, a lot of moving parts there, and that's why he's missing a couple throws. But I think that's also why he's kind of late. There's that that third and four on that slant route. There's a blitzer coming on that guy against a safety. Wide open throw. Like That's got to be the one you hit. And he was late and he sailed him. So I think that some of that stuff will get ironed out. You see Trey Lance out there, it like looks the part. Like a lot of those those throws that he can make and the, all those ru- rushing, you can see where the ceiling is. But I do think that Jimmy G is going to come back and they said he's going to be healthy coming out the buy. So with that, I don't have these like fantasy football Debo Samuel concerns. Right. I, I was worried that the 49ers would run the ball too much and then Trey Lance would not be as efficient of a passer as Jimmy G. But with Jimmy G back, like Debo Samuel should smash here. Yeah. Prior to this weekend, Debo Samuel was the receiving yards leader in the NFL, 490. Yeah. Tyree Kill right after him, then then Cooper Cup. I'm with you. For some reason, Kyle will probably want to just grind out wins with Jimmy, who was also missing downfield throws, who was also an inaccurate passer, you know, 15-plus yards down the field. Trey's first game reminded me a lot of Cam Newton during his rookie year. A lot of downfield throws, a lot of power running. It was just so fascinating to me how differently they were handled, where they didn't want to use his under center stuff, which he did at North Dakota State, and just like put Kyle Juszczyk and Eli Mitchell or who, Tracer in the backfield and just like have more of a you know traditional passing game. It was, hey, Trey, go go make some plays. And I'm with you, totally with you. A lot of air mailed, a lot of late, a lot of off target that wide receivers had to adjust to. And there were some other times, too, where, boom, he put his foot in the dirt, climbed the pocket, defenders at the second level, like linebackers, drove on him, and then it was 200 miles an hour over yes. top of their head, firing those intermediate and downfield targets that were caught as well. So, like, again, absolutely, Jimmy Garoppolo is going to start because this team, you know, wants to win and doesn't want, you know, frustrations on a weekly basis. But I also think that they were, like, things to build on here. Oh that, yeah, uh, that I, it was kind of unfair how much was put in his plate in week one to me. There was a lot of penalties that got him into bad oh situations. My, nine too. or eight holding penalties on their offensive yeah. line, tip passes as well. If I was a Niners fan, I'd be very encouraged for the long term future of Trey Lance. Like you, you can. It's very obvious that this is a crazy athlete with a hell of an arm, and he's got like he's just turned twenty one. Like he can barely drink Jaeger bombs legally right now. And I think as as it as he progresses, I, I hope they turn to him later on because I believe that you'd want this offseason to have all this film where he's actually making reads and stuff. So I hope they go back to him. I just wouldn't expect it immediately. And without George Kittle coming back for these next couple of weeks, Debo Samuel should go off real quick. Brandon Ayuk, 
98th out of 100 qualifying wide receivers in yards per hour run. 98th. That's like that's like Diami Brown and like Jalen Rager or somebody else at the very bottom. So, so, something's up because he's still making plays at times when he goes out there. Barely has any opportunities. Our boy Vish, who's been on the show before, our friend, has even said the same. Like, okay, week one, dealt with a hamstring issue or whatever it was, was slow to get going in practice, so on and so forth. But like you throw out Travis Benjamin and now the person who's playing above Brandon Uke isn't even playing in Trent Sherfield. And yet Brandon Uke still isn't involved. Just doesn't make a lot of sense. And they're sitting Trey Sermon. What the hell's going on? <laughs> Cortland Sutton is a name you want me to write down. Why is that Hayden? Well, there's a couple things. Uh, he's the wide receiver 11 in fantasy usage and he's leading the NFL in targets of 20-plus air yards with 13 of them. And so Jerry Judy's going to be coming back shortly. But I think for the time being, when you get negative game scripts for Cortland Sun, that's what they had last week when the Broncos can't be in ball control situations, which is what they want with a good defense, a decent ground game. When when it's negative game script, Cortland Sun, like we're going to see league-leading air yards, down-the-field throws nonstop. And Teddy Bridgewater's thrown – the ball a little bit more downfield than we probably were expecting coming into the season. So I think it'll be very volatile, but I think that wide receiver two with upside until Jerry Judy gets back. Talk about the Steelers. Juju Smith-Schuster exited this game. He is on injured reserve. He will miss the rest of the season. Um, some things have changed on this team. It's been frustrating all year long, but we've seen Deontay Johnson have weeks. And then as soon as Juju went down, we saw – that Chase Claypool played really well. Three important plays to me out of the slot, but Hayden just 36 snaps out of the slot out of 195 total snaps this season. Meanwhile, in just the game after Juju left, Raven McLeod came in 26 slot snaps, and they also just signed Anthony Miller, who has been a slot receiver his entire life. So my dream of Chase Claypool emerging as this massive athletic slot presence, running the seam, vertical routes from the slot, that's going to drift away on every down basis. But can they move him in there and get him going on certain plays? And will they have to now be more creative with him and Deontay? Yes. So this actually makes me makes me much more optimistic from where were we at with uh, Chase Claypool and, and the rest of his season outlook. This was massive for Chase Claypool, in my opinion, because – Juju Smith-Schuster was leading the team in two wide receiver set snaps, and he did the same last year. Last year, Chase Claypool had four routes run out of 12 personnel, and they just drafted uh, Pat Fryer. I mean, he's looked fine out there. So I do wonder if with this injury, if we're going to see some more 12 personnel from the Steelers, and that would lock in Chase Claypool as the only person that could get downfield in this offense. And I think that you're going to see a lot more dink and dunk opportunities for Chase Claypool. We saw that in the one game where he had what, like 16 targets when Deontay was out. So I think that you're going to see Chase Claypool in a higher target share role. And I think that Deontay Johnson, I mean, this guy's going to have like 15 targets per game. This is going to get out of control uh, with Deontay because it, Deontay and, and Juju, they were both battling for those five yard little drag routes. And now it's just going to be all him. I don't think that Ray Ray McLeod's going to get too involved. I think it's going to be Deontay to the moon and hopefully Chase Claypool can fall, uh, follow him there. Have you had a chance to watch that game yet? Because Not yet. The whole game was won in the first half. Again, 11 first downs. I think four of six conversion on third downs. And a lot of those third down conversions were, were Ben Roethlisberger um, in that he was hitting like third and five, third and 10, third and three. I'm like these perfectly placed passes. I don't think that's happening 
again, but yeah, I mean, I think someone in the chat pointed out Chase Claypool, wide receiver 11 and wide receiver 17 in the two games where another wide receiver has missed. So this is exciting. Again, we talked about this one drafting him. He has the profile of like that next alpha type. Who knows if it was going to get there all season long with Ben Roethlisberger and how he was going to play in all three of these wide receivers on the field. But this narrows things down considerably. And uh, Chase Claypool can win from a whole bunch of alignments. We might even get back to some of those manufactured touches that we saw as well. Also stood out to me, I mentioned with CEH and Daryl Williams in terms of the eight plus man boxes, Najee Harris is right there after them. So I think they're trying to prevent a lot of that stuff too, in terms of, cause they know teams have, um, uh, they know that the Steelers have really good talent at the wide receiver spot. I wouldn't be shocked if we see a little bit more condensed now without Juju involved too. Yeah. I hope so. I, I want I want to see some more 12 personnel. But let Chase Claypool run out routes where he can win uh, by himself out there. I'd love that. 2019, Lamar Jackson was the MVP. It wasn't just running where he was electric. He was absolutely lights out passing the football. Hayden, you and I spoke about this a lot heading into this season. Actually, the 2020 rushing production was very similar to 2019 MVP Lamar. The biggest difference was him missing open receivers and converting plays inside a clean pocket, which is typically what is sticky year over year. Not only is he doing that right now, Hayden, he is transcending the talent that we saw in 2019. And a major part of it is downfield and outside the numbers. Lamar Jackson is progressing. He's improving. He's one of the best throwers in the NFL right now. And that kind of goes back to, we're not seeing the same rushing production, but we're seeing one of the best passing offenses in the NFL. And Marquise Hollywood Brown is the big beneficiary so far. Right now, the Ravens are third in, in team air yards per game. And this was before last night's game where he had, I think he set the record for highest completion percentage with over 40 pass attempts. And he's doing that while leading the NFL in a dot from uh, clean pockets. I mean, this is just absurd what Lamar Jackson's doing. And Marquise Brown's like top 10 in, in deep targets. And to me, it's just like, how sustainable is this when Rashad Bateman comes back? But I think that I'm willing to give in. And I think that Marquise Brown is legit. I was off him. I think I even called him a sell high because Rashad Bateman's coming back. But if the Ravens are going to go this downfield oriented on top of just passing the ball more in general, and Lamar Jackson is going to be a legit MVP front runner this season, then obviously like Marquise Brown is going to have massive games, even if he loses a couple points on his target share because Rashad Bateman comes back. Now that we're removed from a year, I think we can say that Lamar Jackson did not play well last year, uh, but there were a lot of circumstances around him where you lost Ronnie Stanley, you lost a bunch of these pieces as well. Now he's throwing darts. He's throwing dimes. He's throwing dots. And look at all this green out there. And it's 10 plus yards, 15 plus yards, 40 plus yards down the field. And what we always talked about with Greg Roman, and I think a main reason why they wanted to bring in Rashad Bateman too, which this is only should only help, outside to inside player and outside the numbers. Lamar has never been good at throwing outside the numbers, and now he is. And now we're seeing that with Marquise Brown. We're seeing it at times with Mark Andrews. We're seeing it with other pass-catching weapons as well. And I do want to bring up Marquise Brown because, you know, Matt Harmon, our buddy, always talks about route running versus – Man coverage. But Marquise Brown solidly 
One of the best route runners versus zone coverage, fourth and 12th in reception perception success rate versus zone coverage in 2019 and 2020. And in those like spider cam from last night, you saw this with Lamar Jackson staying patient. You know, that first window isn't open, but then as soon as Marquise Brown understands the linebackers leverage, boom, he breaks it off. And Lamar is thinking right before that's happening and letting it go in that open space. The vision cone for Lamar is massive. It's it's the whole field. And Marquise Brown is thriving because of it. One of the biggest advantages with Lamar, the rusher, is he's actually leading the NFL in percentage of his throws over the middle. And the reason why that is, is whenever they use, when they get him into pistol and they're doing all those those uh, RPO stuff, those linebackers are crashing in. And then he's just throwing the ball right over the top uh, to these windows. So it's going to be an, a really cool offense to see when it takes that next step, like there's, we can see a, another step with Ronnie Stan, Stanley coming back and Rashad Bateman, and they love that second tight end who hasn't played after that really scary knee injury. They love what he can bring to the table too. So this is this is going to be uh, one of these offenses that's just incredible to see with the Ravens leading the NFL in players on injured reserve with 17. Next close is at 13. So this is this is a special season from Lamar Jackson. I am such a dummy. I like wrote them off after week two, after all these injuries, after it we looked so did. bad. But I just didn't think, and I've always loved Lamar. I've never been one negative in terms of him as a passer necessarily and, and saying he'll never get there. But this is just more than I think any of us could have predicted this style of offense. You know, it's just they're, so different. They're one of the best downfield throwing teams in the league right now. Like yeah. that's, that is just a credit to Lamar Jackson and, uh, shout out to all the haters. Just can't believe you can't throw. Like it's so well, nonsense. We, we've talked about the Bucks. We've talked about the Chiefs. We've talked about the Bills. A lot of these other teams, the the Rams, like have multiple, you know, passing game players who can get home. As we go along, the Ravens might be one of those. Not to put, you know, but if Lamar's throwing forty three times, you have Marquise Brown, you have Mark Andrews, maybe Rashad Bateman can slowly be that too. So they might be these triple stack teams that we get. As we finish the season, keep that in mind with best ball resurrection because uh, Rashad Bateman's not being drafted highly at all. Okay. Speaking of the Rams, Robert Woods regression hit. They've been the Cooper cup show. I think five touchdowns in the first two or three weeks of the season. Uh, Robert Woods was open on those backside routes all game long. Talk me through it here. Hey, he has jumped up to wide receiver 15 in fantasy usage over the last four weeks because of that huge game. And we when we see the Rams offense click this much, like to me, there's just like no reason why Cooper Cup would be dominating over Robert Woods. I think that you're going to see these guys kind of come cl- a little bit closer together. I would still for sure rank Cooper Cup ahead of Robert Woods. I think Cooper Cup is a better player than Robert Woods at this point, but Robert Woods is way too damn good to not be heavily involved. I think that you're going to see some some volatility here. But when the Rams are clicking at, as well as they are right now, like you can only drop Robert Woods down. Uh, so far so hopefully you didn't trade him hopefully you were able to trade for him I think that I'm going to call him a uh, upside wide receiver too moving forward even if there are some down weeks I mean just huge volume and huge opportunity last week I mean week two we got nine targets for five receptions six targets six targets in between and then week five hit 14 targets 12 receptions 150 yards we are still seeing what this offense can be to me and still it's being unlocked with a bunch of these patterns and, and designated players and routes that, you know, a previous offense could not have hit. Everyone's open. Everyone's available every single time. It's up to Matthew Stafford 
to uh, to hit those. On the Texans, we know Brandon Cooks uh, was the only usable piece that was predictable each and every week when Tyrod Taylor was in there. Lately with Davis Mills, even what Davis Mills did to the New England Patriots this past weekend, Hayden, the last two weeks after, you know, 200-yard games plus in week two, 78-yard and a touchdown score, again, in week four for Brandon Cook, seven targets, five receptions, 47 yards. Week five, five targets, three receptions, 23 yards. Have we seen the peak with Brandon Cooks? After missing that field goal, he just went to his whiteboard. And he wrote Brandon Cooks and just circled it a million times. That's why he wasn't involved last week. There are splits with Tyrod Taylor and Davis Mills and expected half PPR points. Tyrod With Tyrod Taylor, 14.4 for Brandon Cooks. With Davis Mills, that drops from 14.4 down to 9.8. So his usage is dropping. His air yards are dropping. All that stuff. The targets are dropping. Uh, we need Tyrod back. Um, so Brandon Cooks will not be as bad as he was last week because Bill Belichick literally just says, fine. There's a couple... Deep targets where you can see the safety was right over the top of them. JC Jackson's playing well too. So it won't be as bad, but the, the ceiling outcomes for Brandon Cooks come when Tyrod Taylor gets back. Another quarterback injury in Seattle. Russell Wilson will miss extended time. We've seen Tyler Lockett start off the season at a ludicrous rate. We've seen DK Metcalf had great weeks in between since. But one, Seattle's offense has very much been a first-half offense and has had difficulties getting going in the second half. Kind of feels like Shane Waldron is still figuring out this play-calling thing, if I can you know, take a walk down Narrative Street. And now you have Geno Smith, who is a gamer, who wants to make passes down the field. I think there are worse backup quarterbacks throughout the NFL. But Hayden, this has to make us adjust our vision and our view of DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. If you look at like even the fantasy usage model from last year, Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf are like top five in fantasy points over expected. And they're both really good players, obviously, but a lot of that just like because of Russell Wilson. So I think we do have to adjust our expectations. I, I, I always want to point out though, when you're dealing with really efficient players and you take away the, some of the efficiency, you get some of that back with volume. So we should see the, the Seahawks probably pass more just because they're not going to be up as much. They're not just going to be ha- having 45 yard touchdowns like we were seeing. So you're going to get some of those points back from the lost efficiency because of more volume. And I thought that Gina Smith looked pretty good out there and I'm for sure rooting for Gina Smith. He kind of got uh, the short end of the stick. Multiple and I think times. that, yeah, I think that he deserves a, a good run here. And I hope, I hope he can do it. Cause I think that they have the playmakers uh, to make it happen. I don't think this offense is going to completely crater like we've seen it with some other backups. Coin toss god, Geno Smith. I think he picked like 12 correct one season yes. or something. Uh, Galaxy Brain, you ready? I have to have one every single week. Galaxy Brain, what have we talked about with Russell Wilson for years? That he doesn't like the short game. He doesn't like the quick game, right? Geno Smith, dating back to his college days, loves the quick game. If you have any props out there of receptions, overs for DK and Tyler Lockett in the short term before these are adjusted... I wouldn't be surprised if you see more shorter routes and more scripted, you know, open windows rather than the layup, 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 three-pointer, you know? Just Love my it. Thought. Love that stuff. Just my thought. A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf's old teammate, returned to the field. Excited for A.J. Brown. I think it ultimately ended in about 35 yards in his return. Part of that, again, Derek Henry running all over the Tennessee Titans, but Hayden, t- 
tell me if you disagree or correct me if I'm wrong. Like we still haven't gotten that phenom AJ Brown display that it felt like was never going to exit our lives once he arrived just a couple of years ago. I got some good news though, is he has that role that leads to some of those explosive plays and that's 20 plus yard uh, air yard targets. And he's actually caught zero of six of those. And if you look back at the last couple of years, he's an above average player in this stat. So this is like screaming regression that AJ Brown's going to come back. He also got tackled like at the goal line last week. So maybe he's battling through some injuries. We're not going to see like consistent top five NFL wide receiver. And I don't think that the Titans offense is going to be as smooth as it was last year because of some injuries and some turnover. But I, I do think AJ Brown's like a very obvious buy low to me, especially if Julio Jones is going to miss some time. All of the indicators are there for AJ Brown to bounce back. The, the, the deep passes that's like red zone stuff and deep passes. Those are the two most volatile stats. Also the most valuable stats that you can go after. So this is like screaming yeah. buy low to me. Do believe the Titans are are trying to get him involved? As Jaguars Twitter is pointing out, the Titans ran a whole bunch of pick places. It's actually out of thirteen personnel, and so basically all three tight ends are blocking for him down the field, and that allows AJ Brown to cut underneath and pick up the ball and you know run it after the catch. We would love that from AJ Brown again. One yard short there for the touchdown too. Now the other question here, Hayden. While that's great, that's basically a manufactured touch that is, you know, five yards down the field. Does that potentially lead us to that the Titans don't trust him to create separation one-on-one? Because unless they play, you know, the Jaguars once again later on this season, we might not have a more cushy matchup than what we had this past weekend against, against Jacksonville. Are you saying he cannot beat man coverage, Josh? No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just suggesting okay, that good. maybe this play call of having three blockers in front of him might. No, that's we love defense. this. We okay. love this stuff. He's back. Just he, a question. His first, it's his first game back. Like maybe he's not fully up to speed because his knee, knees and hamstrings and all that stuff. But don't be down, AJ Brown, on my podcast. We would also expect the Titans to be way down on the scoreboard coming up against the Buffalo Bills in Week Six, the Kansas City Chiefs in Week Seven. So let's get double-digit targets in the direction of A.J. Brown. He almost got those in uh, week one and week two and only produced 49 and 43 yards. But yeah, th- this this might be one of those windows. And again, it might go in the opposite direction. Might be one of those windows we look back on and say, remember when A.J. Brown was doing nothing in the first five weeks and then exploded? Let's hope so. because we Remember won. when Josh was saying that he might not be able to meet man I coverage? didn't say it. I'm, as a host, I feel like sometimes, Hayden, rather than just stating my point, I should just ask right. questions more. You know, Good. that's all I'm doing. Another question. What the hell still are the Cincinnati Bengals doing? Um, you covered this game for us on our Sunday night instant reaction show. Uh, we have seen real magic from Joe Burrow to Jamar Chase. In fact, I believe there have been 12 targets of 20 plus yards in the direction of Jamar Chase right now. He's caught six of those and four touchdowns. So I guess my new question here for the Bengals Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. Is this just extremely running hot? Because again, this remains a team, Hayden, that is not throwing the football at a high rate, that is trying to make it as easy as possible on their quarterback. Yet the big play receiver is really the one that's hitting in this offense to the biggest degree. It's all Jamar Chase downfield. That's all it is. And it's one of the five slowest offenses right now. And their average in neutral pass rate. And a couple of those 
neutral pass rate games. It was the last two weeks when Joe Mixon was, was banged up and, and all that fun stuff too. So um, the thing I wanted to bring up with the Bengals is first of all, this is not the Dallas Cowboys of last year situation. Their defense is playing a little bit better. I don't know how sticky that is. Um, Jesse Bates keeps making insane plays uh, from the free safety spot. The one thing is just to me, the Tyler Boyd splits on and off with T Higgins are starting to get a little drastic yeah. uh, with T Higgins down at 6.3 expected half PPR points, which is literally unplayable. And then with, without him, it was at, up at 10.4. So this is an offense that's kind of piecing things together. And I think that the biggest thing to me is the Joe Burrow stuff. It's just, is he capable of stretching the field? Like, does he have the arm strength? Does the offensive coordinator, does the head coach want to put him into situations where he has to make those whole shots and the passing charts and the a dot and all that stuff kind of suggests no. And I wonder if that's going to keep the ceiling down of this offense, um, especially if the Bengals uh, defense is a little bit better than anticipated. Yeah. If you're watching us on YouTube, you're saying that basically every single one of Joe Burrow's downfield targets were on the right side of the field wonder where Jamar Chase was. And again, that deep touchdown was Jamar Chase lining up on the left side, then running a deep over route on a broken, broken play, play yes. broken play, and then was hit on that touchdown. I think there are a few questions to ask here. And and actually, I want to bring up this piece from uh, Seth Galina. He's the co-host of the Too High podcast. He also writes for PFF, a great follow on, on Twitter. And I'm paraphrasing what he says. Go and listen to their show or read this column for the whole thing. But the quote that stood out to me of Zach Taylor, who obviously comes from Sean McVay, is that this Bengals offense is like a Sean McVay table of contents where, you know, he takes concepts or ideas that McVay has mastered over the last few years, like running empty, right? And just says, okay, we're going to get out there, put Joe Burrow in shotgun and empty, and we're going to have... T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, Jamar Chase, C.J. Ozoma, whoever else, just beat their man one-on-one. But that's, you know, just putting it into practice but not understanding the plan there because when the Rams run empty, you know, they'll trot out, you know, 11 personnel with Tyler Higby and and Daryl Henderson then motion everyone out there and, like, get advantageous matchups, not just, like, spread everyone out and be like, okay, here we go, Joe, you, you can make this throw. But then also it's now we're going to run a lot of outside zone, but then it's just, okay, we're going to run as fast as we can to the corner and that's it. Again, it's, it's almost like they are running the tactics, but don't understand the thought and, and the reasoning and the flow and the rhythm of the tactic, tactics to get there. And I also think part of the conversation is that when we compare Joe Burrow to a lot of these other young quarterbacks across the league, and Josh Allen, especially Justin Herbert, who's in the same draft class. I keep naming more and more and more. He had mobility coming out of school. That seems to be gone, or at least should be gone based on what we saw on Sunday. He does not nearly have the arm that Justin Herbert has, so a lot of those you know, far-hash throws just aren't there. He has to be super smart, and he has to be super accurate, which he is, but I also think that is better off in an offensive play caller who is creating things on his own. Who's like coming up with his own plan and building it around Joe Burrow's strengths. But it seems like they're just trying to do Sean McVay's strengths out there. To me, it's just like a ceiling. There's just, it's like a ceiling conversation. We know that Joe Burrow is good enough to be an NFL franchise quarterback. Just like at what point do we need to see like consistent downfield passing and not like those short air, air yards, um, 
And we'll see about the mobility. He went to the hospital. I don't think that they want the, – the Bengals don't want Joe Burrow running around as much as they did last week. And I think that's why the neutral pass rates were so low with a healthy Joe Mixon is to kind of hide some of that stuff. Let him, let him progress a little bit uh, after the scary knee injury, right? Yeah. And I think the point you made on Sunday is, you know, Tyler Boyd's a slot receiver. And to me, T Higgins always been like a really good second wide receiver, but it gets a little hairy when, you know, I think at most Zach Taylor wants to throw the ball like 30, 35 times and just run it. And Joe Mixon is productive in that spot, but who knows? I, I I know I was frustrated earlier on. I know good for Joe Goodberry and this team that they are winning more football games than they typically do. But when we try to like predict the rest of the season, I think there's still a lot of questions. Oh, a yeah. lot of questions on the Bengals. Questions around the Browns and Odell Beckham. In fact, those talking heads that get paid a lot of money this week, Hayden, are suggesting that Odell Beckham needs to get traded. We saw. <laughs> I'm serious. They are. I'm not making oh this up. When I, when I go and type keywords and search on NFL on YouTube, what pops up? Odell Beckham is better off traded. The Browns are better off without Odell Beckham. That's false. Hayden, it sucks because week one, when he was back, wasn't week one, but you get what I'm saying. Week three, they got him going early in the slot, got him going outside with outside breaking routes, and he looked amazing. Then he looked amazing in week four, but Baker couldn't get in the ball. And then now in week five, what we got was a fourth and two failed conversion. They just dropped over the middle of the field. And then the Chargers invite you to run. And when you have Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, that's what you do. You run and put up a whole bunch of yards again. We'll never be talking heads because the talking heads don't say, oh, he's a positive regression candidate. He's only converted one of seven 20 plus air yard targets. Like that's not how you become a talking head. But that's the facts. And Odell Beckham's a wide receiver 29 in fantasy usage per game the last four weeks. Down at wide receiver 64, though, he's a clearly like positive regression candidate. It's all it's just the deep downfield throws. And like maybe Baker Mayfield's not cut out for that, but uh Odell Beckham looks totally fine to me. So he's he's gonna be a, a boom bust inconsistent wide receiver three flex in a balanced, slow paced offense that doesn't want to pass the ball in the red zone very often. Yeah, and they also won't trade Odell Beckham because when you can take eyes inside the 10-yard line from defensive back 25 and defensive back 26 and leave 82 wide open for a touchdown, uh, that's you doing your job. He still made a great sideline catch as well. Don't want to be a broken record. Don't want to be an Odell Beckham fanboy, but it's happening. Like, it doesn't help that, to me, Baker's more limited than a lot of these other quarterbacks that we keep talking about. And while Odell isn't, you know, the best wide receiver in the NFL anymore – Hayden, I still think, still think there's plenty of talent there that we have seen on the field this year. It's not even looking back two years that he can get home. The best is yet to come, I think, this season from Odell Beckham. All right. Yes. Speaking of the best, Kadarius Tony. <laughs> Hayden, it's happening and it's for real. But let's break it down. I think it's really easy to have just a conversation of saying, wow. Kadarius Tony had, you know, 180 yards and in week five. And that was without, you know, Kenny Galladay getting hurt and Darius Slayton and Sterling Shepard and, and all these names and Daniel Jones, so on and so forth. But to me, what stands out about Kadarius Tony is that I think we started to see the Giants have a plan for him once Sterling Shepard comes back too, because the usage changed here with Kadarius Tony in week three when he finally got in the field. 36 of 46 snaps were in the slot. 
Week four, 31 of 50. And this past weekend, just 12 of 37 were in this slot. And we saw it. He can make plays there. He can make plays on the outside. He can make plays as a small wide receiver and as a big wide receiver. There are more usable weeks ahead with Kadarius Tony. I think he's the best, the Giants' best wide receiver after after two weeks. And I think that they're going to feed him the ball and he's going to be the manufactured touch guy. He also looks better against press man coverage and more physical than probably a lot of people expected. With that said, obviously you're going to get some of the knucklehead stuff of him punching helmets and all that stuff. The but, legendary stuff, you mean? Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think everyone's going to – the pre-draft process, like I think everyone's going to be a little bit right, but I think that the people that were betting on Kadarius Tony are going to be more right because you just don't see that type of movement. And I think that he's a little bit further along than we probably expected at the line of scrimmage. And he was just winning all over the field, uh, screens, downfield, crossing routes, the whole thing. He evolved into Devontae Adams on Sunday. Yeah. He, he looks really good. Like there's just no, there's, it's harder to describe how he moves. You just don't see somebody that like that flexible and that bursty. Um, so he looks like he's a, a senior playing against freshmen out in open space. So I think that Kadarius Tony is going to be out there. It's going to get way more complicated when Sterling Shepard and Kenny Gallatin, everyone's out there. But I think that Darius Slayton's going to be the loser. Sterling Shepard's going to be a slight loser. Kenny Galladay, slight loser. And I think that Kadarius Tony is going to be super inconsistent. But if they don't manufacture five touches to him every single game, uh, the Giants are cl- clearly doing uh, something wrong. If you're watching us on YouTube, bottom of the screen, gets a pretty good corner in Trevon Diggs. Gets about 17 yards of depth. Two-step pivot, outside breaking route, wide open, about 20 extra yards down the field. This is not flash-in-the-pan stuff. You know, I understand there are some negatives. But this is winning off the line of scrimmage as an outside rider receiver, manufacturing your own space against, right now, one of the best corners in the NFL, has like plus 900 odds to win Defensive Player of the Year right now, and then you're winning pre-catch and post-catch. And we also saw him win big along the sideline, too. I think it helps. Who knows how long Daniel Jones is going to be out, that Mike Glennon was throwing the rock when he was in there as well and was targeting Kadarius Tony a lot. And Hayden, one final note. I know he got 10 catches for 180 yards. He didn't even get a catch until the second quarter in this game. I'm not saying there's more of a ceiling than 180 yards. <laughs> but Kadarius Tony is a pillar piece now and moving forward, I think, for the Giants offense. A Giants offense I had a lot of hesitations with, especially after week one and week two. But the passing game is growing. It's growing yeah. and it's there and it's going to be successful. Yep, young quarterback looking a little bit better and reading the field, and all of a sudden now he has a legit weapon. So I'm, I'm kind of excited for to see what what happens. I, I think it's going to be very inconsistent. I'm going to calling that out, but I think there's going to be some spiked weeks here. He looks like a legit player. But I think they're also doing things to, to help that inconsistency too because they're putting him in bunch. They're motioning him in and out of the backfield to open up things for other players along the middle of the field as well. He got a wildcat play. I mean, manufactured touches touches are there. For all of you, again, I sent out a tweet asking people for their best best ball teams. Hayden, just warm my heart. Made it grow five sizes today. AJ Green, usable weeks. Kadarius Tony, 18th round, usable weeks on a whole bunch of those teams. Shame on you people that didn't heed the advice and draft a first round wide receiver with draft capital in Kadarius Tony in round 18. And it's going to pay off, hopefully. It's fun. He's so much fun to watch. He just moves differently. And I love when players break the mold like that. Love it so much. LaVesca Chenault, Jacksonville Jaguars. Talk about role changes here 
Hayden, you know, we speculated after DJ Chark went down that LaVisca continued to play in the slot for that game plan. And they kept using uh, Tavon Austin as, as an outside wide receiver. Now that changed here in week five. LaVisca finally spent 45 of his 52 snaps out wide. The downside, Hayden, he only caught one pass for about 55 yards on three targets. So conversely, great outside snaps. Devil end of this. What if this is Chenault's not an outside wide receiver? He didn't do that in college at all. So this was pretty interesting. And they got uh, Jamal Agnew, whose nickname is uh, Swagnew, involved in the, basically the Visco role. And he looked pretty good out there. So I'm, I'm beginning to wonder if uh, Jamal Agnew is who we wished LaVisca Chenault would be. So um, I, I'm kind of optimistic because of it. 65% routes, career high, 87% routes on the outside. That to me is signals that they're going to try to get him going like throughout the entire season. And maybe that means more downfield uh, reps for him. But it will be a challenge if he's has to face press man coverage because that was not what he was doing um, in college. So it's it's something to watch. You can't start him yet. Wide receiver fifty usage, but um, we'll see. Maybe he's a type that after a couple games here gets a better feel, and then we have a better season as as the year goes on. The Jaguars are desperate for speed. This goes back to earlier this offseason when they targeted Kadarius Tony speed when. They then just drafted Travis Etienne because he was fast. I truly believe he was like the skill position player on their draft board that was the fastest. And they're like, we have to inject this here. And who was the fastest wide receiver on their team? It was DJ Chark. And now he's out of there. And so I really think, because we talked about it, I believe Marvin Jones and LaVisca Chenault combined for fewer targets than Tavon Austin and Jamal Agnew got last week because they understand that they are a slow offense and urban Meyer throughout his entire career, even though he's not the one calling plays has had the fastest players on the field each and every time he touches it, Utah in that conference, Florida in that conference, Ohio state in that conference, they are desperate for it. That look, we have seen like a transition here for Visca, not just in terms of his role, but like being a little bit more efficient too, where he can make plays after the catch He's a bully, though. He's powerful. And, you know, that hit home for us in, in week four when he was catching passes over the middle. I don't know. I think Trevor is still playing at a super high level, Hayden, where nothing is phasing him. He's almost unbreakable, which is going to be the biggest beneficiary of, of this team this whole season. But I, I will absolutely not make the leap of, oh, now Visca is in every snap outside wide receiver that's going to equal more points because I don't know if he has those skills and those traits because a wide receiver is not a wide receiver is not a wide receiver. And we see that across the board in the NFL. Yep. Uh, real quick with Marvin Jones over the last four weeks, wide receiver, 33 routes, wide receiver, 36 targets, wide receiver, 34 air yards. He's a upside wide receiver, three flex. The way they use him downfield a little bit inconsistent. I don't like where the targets have been the last two weeks, but that feels more fluky than an actual trend. They need, Marvin Jones, especially if they're going to put an inconsistent player in LaVisca on the outside. He's like the the intermediate and downfield option of this team. So we've talked about it with the Arizona Cardinals and the conversations that we've had and others about Rondo Moore, Christian Kirk, A.J. Green, and DeAndre Hopkins of, well, why change things? I understand Rondale's been great, but it's about on a 30 to 40% snap usage. 
well, Hayden, something has to change now, not because of a wide receiver injury, but because of a tight end injury. And Max Williams is going to be out a significant time. And what that led to this past week is Rondell Moore matching Christian Kirk in routes for the first time all season long. Um, I believe I have it written down 61 total snaps. Max Williams left out for 25. Christian Kirk had 33 snaps. Rondell Moore had 29, which basically equals the other tight end in Demetrius Harris. So this isn't necessarily a, hey, this is what happened this past week in Hayden. It's kind of projecting whatever change we could see for the Cardinals moving forward. So if we do see more snaps and more usage for Rondale, that will put him in starting lineups. We also got a couple two-minute uh, situation targets for Rondale. That's kind of why you saw the spike play. But they're getting involved. There was an option route. There was that insane Kyler play where he uh, there was a free blitzer coming up the middle. He spins out of it, rolls left again, sets his feet, and then Rondale Moore dragging his toes downfield makes this an incredible play. So you're seeing a lot of cool stuff from Rondale Moore. And I think that eventually he's going to be stealing some snaps from Christian Kirk. And we saw that last week. He's going to get on the field more because there's no, they're probably going to use 10 personnel uh, a little bit more. Last year, they're at 27% of their passes in that. I can see that being closer to 30, 35, 40% in some situations. Um, and I think it's going to become more and more viable as a flex play. And I think that Christian Kirk's going to become riskier and riskier and riskier um, as the season goes on. Yeah, because there are four talented wide receivers, you mentioned that they lead the NFL in four wide receiver sets, 10 personnel at 22%. The next closest team is the Buffalo Bills at 11%. So yeah, if we do see that 22% jump to 30%, that could be huge. That yep. could be massive. Post by Ricky Bump. Yeah, we're, we're going to learn a lot from their next game when they do play. Okay, we'll close out wide receivers. Longest show of the offseason and of the season. Uh, Allen Robinson, less slot routes. This is what stood out to me. Bill Lazor, two games as the play caller I thought and actually some of his receptions were as a slot wide receiver that they wanted to manufacture maybe him some of those easier routes some of those easier matchups but again less slot routes in the last two weeks under Bill Lazor than before is there anything we can take away here with Allen Robinson because I know that the passing volume has been down here with Justin Fields we know that's going to change in a couple weeks when they face you know a really really good offenses but uh Allen Robinson is just dust in comparison to where his draft capital was this offseason. The Bears are averaging 176 air yards as a team. The The Bucks are at 417, just like a little perspective. The Saints, who don't want to throw the ball at all, are at 212. So they're a complete outlier in how often they're throwing the ball, how deep downfield they're throwing the ball. So it's, it's basically impossible for Allen Robinson to be that guy because Darnell Mooney is actually basically has the same amount of air yards and targets as Allen Robinson too. So it's the the worst case scenario for Allen Robinson. And I didn't like him in the slot. Actually. I don't think that's where he wins. There was a couple routes where I was like, what is he doing out there? Um, I think that he needs to be that jump ball contested catch receiver in the red zone guy. And hopefully we get some better news, but uh, the bears have to pass the ball more. And exactly. It's, I'm not sure if they ever will, even in negative game scripts, it will be, Justin Fields out scrambling. It'll be running the ball up the middle. The defense is playing fine and they're just knocking Like I don't think they want to put Justin Fields in really bad situations right now. So it's really difficult to see Allen Robinson uh, re-entering the wide receiver two mix. Or you're hoping he's like becomes a flex option because he's not even that right now. Packers, Bucks, 49ers, and Steelers are their next four games. We didn't actually talk at all about the Bears backfield there. They had positive neutral and negative game script. It felt like this past weekend 
uh, almost exact split 50-50 between Khalil Herbert and Damian Williams. But I think you pointed out that the usage between the two was quite drastically different. Basically, in the second half, they were up big, and it seemed like they were just going to shut him out. And they got Khalil Herbert running between the tackles. And it was basically even split once it got to that point. Before that, though, it was a lot more Damian Williams, basically exclusively Damian Williams in neutral. Good, uh, too. Yeah, so I think that he's the guy, especially when we're talking about when the Bears aren't winning. And like you said, with that schedule, they are not going to be winning. And when that happens, you're going to see Damian Williams uh, be used more as a receiver. And you're not going to see the Khalil Herbert uh, running things out in the second half as much. Three and two Chicago Bears with some maybe some some boxes to open as we go along with more maybe manufactured runs for Justin Fields or at least him scrambling the pocket, which we've really seen, and just throwing the ball more. I'm right there with you. All right. Before we close out with tight ends, which is always a mad dash to the finish, like and subscribe, everyone. Again, we'll be back here actually on Thursday, 530 Eastern for our game-by-game preview show. Always love to do that. We'll pick out underdogs. Pick out Benji's players go for 100 yards. We go through a whole bunch of pick'em lines, go green, had a whole bunch of winning 20x slips out there. So be on the lookout, like and subscribe down below. And as always, you can take us with you. The Underdog Football Show. Just search whatever podcast platform you use. All right, Hayden, I just have a names here for tight ends. Should we start with Mark Andrews or Cow Pitts? Well, they're one, two in fantasy usage over the last four weeks. Mark Andrews, number one. Kyle Pitts, number two. Let's start with Kyle Pitts just because he's more exciting. Tied in three routes, tied in five targets, tied in two red zone targets, and looked like an absolute freak out in London. A lot of those snaps were out in the slot or and out wide against some press man coverage, a little soft coverage, and winning on slants, winning downfield against cover three way down the field, and he looks like a wide receiver to me. So my question to you, you're in best ball resurrection. Who is the tight end three moving forward? You go Hawkinson, Kittle, Pitts, Mark Andrews. They're all in, in, in the, basically the same situation. Why, why are you inserting TJ Hawkinson into this conversation, dude? He, he, no, I mean, he had weeks. pull it off. He, he, we might have already seen his peak. I, I, I think we are seeing Mark Andrews in this team play extremely well. Now that can alter just a little bit. But Hayden, and this was me getting lost in the darkness of the season at times where Arthur Smith and this Falcons team, you kept warning me like the Cowpits game is coming up, like the usage is there and we should have known and smashed the overs on Cowpits. And I know a lot of people did out there, especially when Calvin really was announced as out because if Arthur Smith has an ounce of play calling qualities in him that we knew the where the football was going but a lot of things like didn't change for him this past weekend it just like it just hit and that should hit more often than it doesn't because he's a freak who matching up against defenders who are nowhere close to his size or his speed and that he's attacking like 15 and 20 yards down the field if we don't that's like darren waller stuff that's travis kelsey stuff and that's it across the league at the tight end position and we're already getting that from kyle pitts we could have an insane second half of, season. of the season for Kyle Pitts. I, yeah. if you if you said Kyle Pitts, I would have said probably same. It's I think it's him or Mark Andrews uh, right now for me. Mamu, I don't think T.J. Hawkinson is done. It's just this thing that I have against bad teams. It's well, let's let's talk about it just real quick with 
the Lions, it's not just that they're a bad football team. They're 29th in neutral pass rate. And that's the the frustrating part for TJ Hawkinson. And my eye test, like TJ Hawkinson doesn't seem like a crazy difference maker to me. Like he's a good player, but I don't think that he's in that like elite conversation. Um, So he's going to need more negative game scripts and the Lions are kind of feisty. I just don't think that the Lions like feistiness is going to last the entire season there. There's way too many injuries on the offensive line and on the defense. I think you're going to see some wild game scripts for TJ Hawkinson moving, moving forward. And I think some of that kind of explains the last few weeks where his targets have been down. It's because they've been like neutral game scripts. And we saw what happens when they're in really uh, negative game scripts. I think that that's probably more likely than like the feisty lions or the last couple of weeks. Yeah. I mean, we saw games when they were down by like 21 points and that Hawkinson was eating in those. I mean, that, that near comeback against San Francisco in week one was like that more often you're going to get them down by the, you know, 10, 12, 14, something like that. And in those situations, we still know who's getting the target. It's the running backs. I mean, the yeah. running backs just eat in this passing offense. So. I'm for sure disappointed. 15% targets, that's that's not acceptable with this wide receiver group. This wide receiver group also lost Quintez Cephas for the year, Frank Ragno for the year. They're offensive tackles. I saw Penny Sewell get absolutely murked back-to-back plays against Everson Griffin. So I think the Lions are going to be really bad moving forward. They've lost the like, their best defensive players, like the top four of them yeah. and their offensive lines is a disaster. Too. So I think we're going to see more Hawkins in games moving forward. I'm surprised you didn't Trojan horse and Amon Ross St. Brown conversation into this one. Okay. So we've talked about Mark Andrews, Cal Pitts. We have to bring up Dawson Knox, who is another athlete as another pass catcher in this Buffalo Bills team went to a vision specialist this off season narrative street that's happening, but also Hayden, this is just around the time in the career arc of tight ends who are athletic round three plus picks that it starts to hit. And uh, it's not like these short patterns that he's catching the ball and running with them. They are seam routes. They are intermediate routes. And Josh Allen has eyes for him. And uh, he's he's making it worth his while. And he's improving as a run blocker, too. So he's out in the field a lot more often. I see that, and we're, that's why we're not seeing the Bills run as much 10 personnel, like you said earlier, where they're down. Uh, they basically were to head, head-to-head with the Cardinals, and now it's a little bit of a gap between those. I think it's because Dawson Knox looks better, and he's kind of eaten into some of our Cole Beasley snaps, for crying out loud. We can't have that. But Dawson Knox, tight end 11 in routes, tight end 2 in red zone target. So uh, that's the, been the difference. That's why he's been a top 7, top 8 uh, fantasy tight end. I think that's basically the cutoff point where we should be kind of viewing him. He's not Gronk. I don't think he's Pitts. He's not in that conversation yet. But for the next tier like Gasicki or Knox moving forward. Yeah. I want Dawson Knox. I want Me Dawson too. Knox over Dal- Dalton Schultz, all the rest of those guys. So I think that he is a legit top 10 uh, tight end. Great offense, and he's tight end 11 in routes run per game. Uh, that's that's all you can ask for. A few more names before we get out of here. You have Zach Ertz written down, Evan Ingram, Hunter Henry. People struggle at the tight end position. Talk us through those final names, then we'll get out of here. Zach Ertz is like a no-brainer pickup. He was already the tight end nine in fantasy usage over the last four weeks. The Eagles are playing with pace, and they're playing with uh, the number one neutral pass rate, which is absurd Amazing. to me, insane to me. Uh, but Zach Ertz is going to be out there without Dallas Goddard, who's on the COVID list. So I think that Zach Ertz is a bona fide top 10 fantasy tight end. He was already had the usage. I know he's not going to break too many tackles, but if the Eagles stay with that same philosophy – this week, I think that we should expect 
uh, Zach Ertz to, to go out there and be targeted like eight times. I'll say this. If the Eagles weren't among the tops in neutral pass rate, there's no way they went against the, the Panthers this past weekend. You know, like yeah. their aggression in those situations where Jalen Hurts and the offense sucks for large stretches, like 50 yards in the first seven drives. We talked about on the instant reaction show on Sunday how Jalen Hurts is a baller and like is super focused in those end of game scenarios, stays super positive, and then staying aggressive. It's Safansky. It's Brandon Staley. I'm not saying Nick Sirianni is in that group, but just in terms of throwing the football and keeping your pedal to the floor and like trying to make up this ground and not just running the football, um, it helps. And again, that that's what led them to a victory that they really shouldn't have had this past weekend. So Sirianni and Dallas Goddard has been balling at times, like some of these really yeah. tough tough catches. So who knows if Zach Hurts can do this? Yeah. Uh, last name I got for you is Hunter Henry. And what I've noticed is his usage seems to be kind of changing. Obviously, they've gotten rid of like 60% of the Jonu Smith uh, routes this year. Like Jonu Smith's like running around like on 26% of dropbacks or something like that. But Hunter Henry, he had a 52% inline rate in the first two weeks. In the last three weeks, and this kind of corresponds with some of these Jonu Smith stuff, he's down to 26% inline rate. They're putting him in the slot more and out wide more. And that's what we wanted when going into this like offseason research is we want the slot wide receiver who's playing more of the snaps. And I think what we said is when the offensive line is weak and they're getting beat, they're even getting beat against the Texans and they can't run the ball right now because everyone's fumbling and running the wrong direction. They're playing a little more spread. And that's been Hunter Henry on these little check downs. So I think that very low ceiling, but I think that Hunter Henry could be that tight end too, that kind of back back doors into like the tight end 11 finish. I, I like where the usage is, is trending to right now. Okay. Marathon show one hour, 45 How did that minutes. Happen? I prepared too much. That's why I apologize to you. I apologize to the people out there. They stuck with us though. Our higher audience, highest audience of the show is right now. Maybe we should just go for another hour, 45, Tony, no. Rel, Mahmood, T.O., Dustin. Appreciate you for being here. I know all of you are subscribed. Everyone who checks out this live on the podcast feed or as a VOD afterwards as it's posted on Underdog Fantasy's YouTube show, subscribe. It's not just us. There's about to be more content on the YouTube channel. Worldwide, WAV is a part of the team. NBA season kicks off super soon. And I know he's going to have some electric streams on here as well. So be on the lookout for all of that. Join us once again on Thursday. Game by game preview show, 5.30 Eastern, and then on Sunday, starting at 10 a.m., helping you set your optimal lineups. And as always, instant reactions on Sunday night as well. Go to Underblog, check out the fantasy usage model. Let's get ahead of these breakouts. Let's stay ahead. Let's put it that way. Hayden. All right, we'll get out of here. For all of you, for Hayden, I am Josh. Up the villa. Talk to y'all soon. See ya.